Welcome back, warriors. Tanse Sego and Ibuju. Kwe Nin Deloisi Pampometer, and I am the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And there's no one way to live a warrior life. We all do our part at different times in different ways and with differing degrees of energy. Sometimes it's about being an on-the-ground warrior, defending our lands and waters, like Canahus Manual or Gord Hill. Sometimes it's about advocating for the rights of First Nations children in foster care, like Cindy Blackstock and Cora Morgan. Sometimes we are forced to work on multiple issues at once, and at other times we are laser-focused on one specific issue. Ultimately, we all do what we can, when we have to, and we never give up. One of the less pleasant roles is keeping a close eye on settler governments and what they are up to in terms of their laws, policies, and political agendas. Nowhere is this more exaggerated than during election times. Many of us don't vote in their systems. We choose to focus all of our attention and energy on our own Indigenous nation building. While other Native people not only vote in those elections, but sometimes they run in them as candidates to try to make change. Everyone is trying their best to figure out how to best advocate for our people. I personally don't vote, and someday I can share a podcast with you about why that is, and even post some articles I've written about it. And, in fact, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, there is a public panel session I did some years ago um, about a discussion that we had on this very issue. But my not voting doesn't mean I don't keep a close eye on what governments are doing and put pressure on them through the public to do better by Native people. I do this in a variety of ways, but specifically, I have been researching and analyzing government legislation, policy, and politics, and its impact on First Nations for about 20 years. I focus that in my, my master's and my doctorate in law. I refined that when I used to work for Justice Canada and Indian Affairs. Um, I did even more of that once I left the federal government because I saw just how bad it was on the inside. Um, I participate in parliamentary and Senate committees that specifically look at legislation and policies. And I've traveled to the UN on several occasions to talk specifically about how Canada's laws and policies our impacting us. I also, uh, as part of this, specifically analyze election platforms and try to follow up on whether or not any of those parties keep those promises for the purposes of being just one of the many voices out there to help educate the public about what is working and what needs to change. Today's podcast represents my analysis of the federal party leader platforms with regards to their Indigenous commitments. It is based on a detailed analysis I did for Canadian Dimension magazine, which was posted online today. And what I'll do is I'll post a link to that article in my description box here in SoundCloud so that you can have a copy. This is my analysis, and I respect that many different people have lots of different views based on their own research and experience and insights, and I respect all of my listeners from all different backgrounds and thank you ahead of time for being open-minded enough to consider my thoughts. This year's federal election campaign has seen a significant drop in priority for Indigenous issues, especially in terms of the federal leaders' debate and their campaign commentary. This stands in stark contrast to the 2015 election campaign, which saw Liberal leader Justin Trudeau center his campaign on rebuilding Canada's relationship with Indigenous peoples. The phrase, there is no relationship more important to Canada than the one with Indigenous peoples became the mantra that he cited over and over and over, not just during his election campaign, but even after he was elected. 
Trudeau made significant promises to Indigenous peoples, like a commitment to a nation-to-nation relationship that was based on the respect for Indigenous rights. He also promised to repeal all of the legislation that Harper imposed on First Nations. And these promises, amongst others, really set Trudeau's platform apart from all of the other parties. And because of that, Indigenous peoples voted in record numbers and helped secure the election for the Liberals. That was something that was uh, really historical, in fact, because many Indigenous peoples who hadn't voted previously voted for two reasons. One, to get Harper out of office because he was very anti-First Nation. And two, to bring in the Liberals, Trudeau, who had been making very significant promises. However, in this election, this time around, everything has changed. Trudeau started off his campaign for 2019 election without even mentioning Indigenous peoples. He now refers to everybody in everybody's interest and doesn't particularly single out Indigenous peoples. The Green Party leader, Elizabeth May's primary focus, uh, no surprise, has been on addressing the climate crisis. And the NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, his focus has been on pharmacare and making the rich pay their fair share through taxes. To no surprise, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer's core message has been on his prized energy corridor and ensuring that all natural resource extraction projects go ahead, with or without the consent of both Indigenous peoples or the provinces. None of the four main parties have prioritized Indigenous issues, though three out of the four parties have made some significant commitments within their platforms. And that's what I did. I read all of their platforms, the section that was specific to Indigenous peoples, and then I read the rest of their platform to see if there was anything else that could help inform what they were doing with, uh, in, on Indigenous issues. Now, all four parties have a specific section on Indigenous commitments, but some actually made additional commitments sprinkled throughout the rest of their platforms on other subject areas, for example. While the Liberals, Greens, and NDP share some of those same commitments, there are some really core differences. Scheer's platform, for example, is exceptionally weak. I mean, if there was a weaker word than weak, maybe not almost non-existent, his platform is almost non-existent on Indigenous issues and very similar to that of the so-called People's Party of Canada leader, Maxime Bernier, um, who is essentially a non-player in this election. The, you know, the polls that have been leading up to this election all say that um, none of the candidates that Maxime Bernier is running have any chance of winning, and Maxime Bernier's seat is uh, being contended as well. But one of the issues on which all four parties agree is the urgent need to address water issues on First Nation reserves. Now, the Liberals promised to end, quote, long-term boil water advisories by 2021. The Greens commit to end all boil water advisories and address the really desperately needed infrastructure on reserve to maintain water quality. Now, the NDP commit also commit, like the Greens, to end all water advisories uh, by 2021 with a significant commitment to Indigenous-led training and operations so that Indigenous peoples at the local level can actually be in control of uh, running uh, water and maintaining it. Now, what's interesting is wording. When you read these platforms, it's important to look at the details. What exactly is being said and what isn't? Just like that subtle nuance between the Liberals saying that they will end long-term boil water advisories, as they define it, versus ending all boil water advisories and every other water issue. Now, the Conservatives only commit to, quote, support efforts to end long-term boil water advisories, but don't provide 
any time frames or any details. So supporting efforts could just be, yeah, we'll sit back and support you and congratulate you First Nations on your efforts to end these boil water advisories, but don't make any real commitments to do it themselves. Now, what is significant here? is that both the NDP and the Greens commit to address all water issues, keeping in mind some First Nations don't even have running water. So if we're only focused on boil water advisories, then we're specifically excluding those who don't even have running water. And I think what's important is not just addressing that urgency, but also all of the much needed investments in the training uh, of the people who are operating those systems and to have the infrastructure to begin with. Now, both the Liberals and the Conservatives limit any future action on water to long-term advisories and none of the other issues. On uh, other issues like health care, the Liberals, NDP, and Greens all commit to culturally relevant health care that includes mental health care. Now, the NDP specifically commit to supporting Indigenous self-determination in health care, as well as promoting a suicide action plan for First Nations and a specific commitment for a mercury poisoning treatment center for Grassy Narrows, something that Trudeau had promised but never delivered on and is well overdue. The Greens focus on maternal health care, infant care, a addressing the TB crisis, tuberculosis, and much like the NDP, on supporting and building health governance capacity within Indigenous communities. Now, the Conservative platform on health care is practically empty. It doesn't talk about in the inequitable lack of access to health care or the poor health conditions of Indigenous peoples or make any specific commitments in that regard. The Conservatives also lack any commitment to addressing housing on and off reserve, which we know is a crisis in First Na- many First Nations. And that's in stark contrast to the Liberals, NDP and Greens, who all commit to address the housing crisis. Now, the NDP and Greens, in addition to addressing the housing uh, crisis, also include measures to address mold, safety issues, and the effects of climate change on housing in First Nations, as well as retrofits for energy efficiency, whereas the Liberals promised to address major infrastructure by 2030, well outside of the next term of office, but without any specific and measurable concrete plan for the next four years. Now, that's not unlike some of the Liberal budgets that they have already introduced previously, where they don't talk about immediate commitments. They talk about long-term commitments, five, ten years in the future, and it's conditional always on you voting for them. So a promise of future money in political language is no promise at all. It's no money at all. You cannot commit beyond um, what budgets get approved. So those are like false promises. Now, while the Liberals, NDP and Greens all make commitments to support Indigenous languages, the Liberals focus on implementing the controversial C-91, the Indigenous Languages Act, which was enacted against the will of many First Nations and which failed to include the promised statutory-based funding. We had to find out at the very end of the day, not that any of us were surprised, that they didn't make a significant Treasury Board uh, submission along with C-91 to ensure that there were dedicated funds needed to address um, critical language needs in First Nations across the country. The Liberal platform does, however, commit to, quote, move forward on the issue of funding. There's no uh, specific commitment. It wasn't included, obviously, in the legislation, no Treasury Board submission. So this promise seems to ring about as hollow as their last promise did, especially considering that this is an unfulfilled promise from their last set of election promises. 
Now, by contrast, the NDPs promise new legislation that would have stable funding attached to it, which is what the, tr the Trudeau government was supposed to have done. The Greens offer general support for Indigenous languages. They don't talk about legislation, but they do talk about uh, the importance of developing language curriculum. Now, Bill C-92 was another piece of highly controversial legislation relating to Indigenous child welfare that was, again, imposed by the Liberal government against the will of many First Nations, some of whom even protested the um, passing of the Act. The majority of the witnesses that were testifying against C-92 had significant critique fundamental problems with the legislation. And again, uh, in the Liberal platform, they're promising to move forward with both the implementation of that bill and funding, but they were supposed to have a statutory guarantee of funding within Bill C-92, which they didn't. And they didn't do a Treasury Board submission like they also promised to do. So I'm not sure how much we can rely on promises that were supposed to have been done during their first term of office. Now, although the Liberals promised to move forward with the implementation of the bill and funding, the NDP and Greens have committed to actually focus on respecting Indigenous rights and jurisdiction in relation to child welfare, and specifically commit to funding Indigenous governance in this area. So not just the cost of child welfare, uh, but also the cost of Indigenous governance, so First Nation governments running child welfare. All three parties, Liberals, NDP and Greens, also commit to ending the use of diesel for energy in some of the more uh, remote and northern First Nations and create a plan to transition to clean energy. Now, the only difference between the Liberals, NDP, and Greens in this regard is that the NDP and Greens commit to immediate action on transitioning to clean energy, but the Liberal timeline is way out in the future in 2030 again. So another long-term, if you vote for me two or three more times kind of promise. Now, all four parties make some level of commitment to addressing the socioeconomic gap, but they do differ greatly on what they consider to be urgent priorities. The NDP commit to implementing Shannon's dream for education on and off reserve, more money for post-secondary education, and critically important, the needed funding for First Nation kids in foster care. Now, the Greens, on the other hand, said that they will work with the Assembly of First Nations, the AFN, on the AFN's priorities, as well as increase money for education without a cap on post-secondary education funding. Now, removing the cap on, on post-secondary is critically important um, and was supposed to have been done under the Trudeau government and wasn't. Uh, the concern is working through the Assembly of First Nations because the Assembly of First Nations and the Trudeau government have been pretty significant barriers to First Nations getting their much needed funding and programs and services on the ground. Now, the Liberal platform makes some general commitments with regards to education and skills training, but without any details. And the Conservative commitment is even weaker than the Liberal one, which says, and I quote, support efforts, again, to address the socioeconomic gap, but no specific commitments, timelines, or identified programs and services. It's just a generic support efforts. Now, what we do know is that the Conservatives have publicly criticized the implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, UNDRIP, and said that the free, prior, and informed consent part of UNDRIP would mean that Indigenous groups could, I quote, hold hostage energy projects, and for that reason, they're against the implementation of UNDRIP. So it's no surprise then that the Conservatives don't make any commitments in their platform in relation to UNDRIP. Instead, what they promise to do is literally the exact opposite. They promise to use constitutional powers to declare all energy projects to be in the national interest 
and force their construction without Indigenous or provincial consent. I mean, you know, there's that saying that Dr. Phil says about when someone's trying to tell you who they are, you should listen. Well, if we thought Harper was a bully government, and many of us do, Sheer promises to be an even worse bully government, not just for Indigenous peoples, but for provincial residents all over the country. The Conservatives are also promising to fund organizations that will facilitate partnerships between Indigenous communities and the extractive industry. So, of course, here we go. Here's the carrot. Here's the money for the ultimate in divide and conquer politics. The Conservative plan includes building a national energy corridor all across Canada, building the Trans Mountain Pipeline, ending the ban on shipping along BC's coast that was implemented to protect all of the uh, coastal wildlife there, and to repeal Bill C-69 and all of its environmental protections. Now, the Liberals commit to implementing UNDRIP within the first year of their mandate, that's a bit ironic because that was one of their primary promises from the last election, that that would be one of the first things that they did was implement UNDRIP. But all we heard from his former uh, Indigenous Minister of Justice was, oh, we can't um, implement UNDRIP. It would not be in accordance with our law and consent doesn't equal veto. And while she's no longer the Minister of Justice, the, Trugo, the Trudeau government has kind of stuck with that um, line of reasoning. So none of the Liberals have committed to respect the free prior and informed consent of Indigenous peoples. Instead, what they're promising to do is to develop a resource revenue sharing framework whereby Indigenous peoples can share in the profits from ore, gas and oil, presumably from projects that take place on their lands without their permission. So not much of a promise in that regard. On the other hand, the NDP commit to a national action plan to implement UNDRIP and have promised good faith, consent-based negotiation consistent with the Chilcotin decision of the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, while the Chilcotin decision is um, a much better decision than some previous decisions, it's still very much limited by how the Supreme Court of Canada has defined Section 35 and how, um, although those are constitutionally protected Aboriginal and treaty and title rights within Section 35, the Supreme Court of Canada has left it open to federal and provincial governments to quote-unquote justify uh, infringements of those rights, especially in relation to land. So that's a potential red flag right there. Now the Greens differentiate themselves by not only committing to remove all judicial, legislative, and executive obstacles to fully implementing UNDRIP into law, but they agree that at the same time they will ensure a nation-to-nation -nation relationship with Indigenous peoples that is grounded first and foremost in free, prior, and informed consent. So that's a pretty significant promise. Similarly, while the Liberals promise a National Treaty Commissioner to review treaty obligations, so another level of bureaucracy, the NDPs and Greens promise instead to fully recognize, respect, and implement treaties and modern agreements and other land claims agreements. And, and that's different than setting up a bureaucracy to review or a study to review or a commission to review. This is about just getting down to the business of implementing these treaties. This trend of, you know, the core difference between the Liberals, NDP and Greens continues when one considers the election commitments on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, as well as the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls calls for justice. All parties, except for the NDP, failed to acknowledge the National Inquiry's finding of genocide against Canada 
in their platforms. That's not to say that outside of that process, they haven't acknowledged that finding. For example, Elizabeth May, the leader of the Green Party, was the first uh, federal leader as soon as the report came out to accept the finding of genocide. Um, but in their platforms, if you're reading it and you're looking for even just the word genocide, they all fail to include that except for the NDP. And I consider that to be a significant omission, given that both the United Nations Human Rights Council and the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights expressed deep concerns about the genocide uh, happening in Canada. And they're wanting to come to Canada and they want Canada to take action on genocide and of course well they should and we can't expect all Indigenous peoples and the public to follow every aspect of the media to know who on the outside is accepting genocide, who isn't, who's going to act on it. That's why it should have been front and center in their platforms, all of them. So it is, uh, it's a good sign that the NDP did specifically include that in their platform. Now, again, all parties also committed to a national action plan to implement the National Inquiry's recommendations. And the NDP went further and said in addition to doing that, they promised to support Indigenous self-determination over land, which is part of addressing violence against Indigenous women. So it's good to see that they see that connection. Um, no surprise at all, but the Conservatives make no commitments with regards to TRC implementation, whereas the Liberals, Greens and NDP all commit to do so. But again, the NDP go a little bit further and promise to create a national action plan on reconciliation based on the TRC recommendations, as well as legislation to create a new National Council on Reconciliation to oversee that process. Now, I'm not a big fan of bureaucracy because I, I find that takes a lot of money, time and attention away from just the business of doing things. Um, sort of like the other liberal promise around, you know, creating a national treaty commission, another level of bureaucracy. I think we need less bureaucrats, more money going directly into First Nations and just getting down to the business of respecting rights. But so be it. That's the promise here. Now, the Green Party also indicated that they would implement the recommendations of the 1996 Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples in partnership with Indigenous Peoples. Now, none of the other parties mentioned RCAP. I'm not surprised. I mean, RCAP was in 1996. It's been sitting on a shelf gathering dust since it was issued. No one's, uh, in terms of government, has really paid it much attention except the Trudeau government who picked one out of the hundreds of recommendations to create two departments of Indian Affairs instead of one. And we're not still not quite sure, you know, why they did that. But uh, we know that that certainly wasn't on the top of our list of things that would uh, bring about justice for Indigenous peoples. Now, I don't have to tell everyone here that the Indian Act has always been a source of huge controversy from the 1969 White Paper on Indian Policy, which was where Trudeau Sr. proposed to do away with the Indian Act, do away with reserves, get rid of treaties, and just assimilate Native people into the Canadian population. Um, you know, fast forward to Harper's 10 years reign of terror on Native people, and he ended up passing legislation that requires that the Minister of Indian Affairs report to Parliament every year on, pro on the progress that uh, they have made to repeal the Indian Act. So this focus on trying to get rid of the Indian Act and reserves and, and treaties and, you know, special status for Native peoples, that's, that has Continued. That's never abated, whether it's a conservative government or a liberal government. And, you know, uh, the NDP have never been tested at the federal level to know where they would stand on that. But um, it's uh, it's quite a problem that in in all of these platforms, people are still focusing so much on the Indian Act. So we, we know that throughout history, the majority of First Nations have resisted federal attempts to unilaterally repeal the act. 
Um, and and for various reasons, because repealing the act means reserve lands uh, revert to provincial jurisdiction. There would be no uh, tax exemption benefits, and there's other other things about the Indian Act that you know pin or or obligate the federal government to act in a certain way, whereas um, that would be gone if the act was just repealed and nothing replaced it. So it, it is quite surprising, although not at the same time, that the Indian Act appears to be such a central pillar in most of the platforms. I mean, the Liberals are promising to continue moving away from, you know, from the Indian Act through federally prescribed processes under the guise of supporting nation building. But we all know that this federal legislative framework and all of these negotiating tables across the country require the extinguishment of rights, which is not an improvement from the Indian Act, but I would argue a reduction uh, from the Indian Act. The Conservatives are also pushing the removal of the, uh, the Indian Act without any commitment to replace it with other mechanisms to protect Indigenous rights. And, you know, it sounds almost identical to Maxime Bernier's commitment to replace the Indian Act with legislation to essentially turn Indigenous peoples into um, Canadians. And, and we all know that that's what the, you know, conservative agenda is. It's just Bernier's a little bit more outright in saying what exactly the intention is. Now, the Greens also promised to, quote, dismantle the Indian Act, which I thought was a bit disconnected from the rest of their platform because the rest of the platform really talked about um, what we've been saying, you know, the recognition of inherent rights, sovereignty, land ownership, self-determination, the importance of Indigenous-led processes, free, prior, and informed consent. Um, and, you know, talking about dismantling the Indian Act and and saying what the future is going to hold is a little bit... Uh, you know, it's a little bit of a trigger because it puts you in the same category... Um, rightly or wrongly, with the conservatives and the liberal government who are who are basically, you know, advocating the same thing, the repeal of the Indian Act, without any specific commitments to protect uh, the rights that might be under the Indian Act or to make sure that there are no negative legal ramifications for doing that, like having all reserves transferred to the provinces. Now, Elizabeth May has explained outside of her platform that that's not the intention and, of course, you know, dismantling the Indian Act is very complex and would have to be led by First Nations and some could opt out and and some could not at their choice. But, you know, specifically in the platform, um, she does mention the Indian Act, not unlike the Conservatives and the Liberals. So that's why I raise it um, as a concern. Um, but she has explained that on the outside, she intends to do differently. Now, the what I like is that the NDP don't mention the Indian Act at all. But they focus on nation-to-nation -nation negotiations and a respect of rights. And what I like about that is, and, and what I've always argued, is that if governments are doing what they're supposed to be doing and respecting our sovereignty and inherent rights and, and negotiating, you know, intergovernmental agreements and funding and all of that stuff, eventually the Indian Act just becomes irrelevant. And all of the protections will be in place before we have to worry about getting rid of some or all of the Indian Act. Um, and I think that's the right focus. I don't think we go from the Indian Act forward. I think we do what needs to be done and then just essentially make the Indian Act irrelevant. Now, no surprise, there's a, you know some stark differences when it comes to issues like compliance with the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal decision. And for those of you who maybe haven't listened to the previous podcasts I did with um, Cindy Blackstock, for example, uh, Cindy Blackstock uh, filed a human rights complaint at the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal for uh, the chronic and purposeful and racially discriminatory underfunding of, of First Nations uh, children in foster care and how this was having a negative impact on First Nations children and families. And the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal decision agreed and said it was racial discrimination and issued compliance orders against the government to stop racially discriminating 
uh, against First Nations children in foster care and their families. And the federal government under Trudeau has been consistently non-compliant. So the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal has had to issue non-compliance orders, basically saying you need to comply, you need to comply. And I think they're on their eighth non-compliance order right now. And so the most recent decision of the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal is to um, uh, direct that compensation be paid, $40,000 for every First Nation child um, that has been racially discriminated against in foster care uh, during a certain time period. And while Trudeau told the media, oh, that he supports the decision and definitely supports compensation, um, what he did was he appealed the decision, including the decision to compensate. So he wants the whole, de the whole decision thrown out. And that's, you know, not only not agreeing with the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, um, but that's in addition to all of the eight non-compliance orders. What's, what's really disturbing is despite all of Trudeau's promises and, you know, great words to the contrary, he's in the exact same category as Andrew Scheer because when Andrew Scheer was asked whether he would comply with the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal decision, he said no, he would apply for a judicial review or take some legal action because he doesn't agree with it. So you've got Trudeau and Scheer on the exact same page when it comes to uh, allowing and perpetuating uh, racial discrimination against First Nation kids in foster care, which we know is lethal. It uh, it's reduces their life chances, and in, and there are many kids that die, First Nation kids that die in foster care. So you've got um, a, a real problem here where the Liberals and the Conservatives are the same. Now, on the other hand, uh, the NDP and the Greens promise full compliance with the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal decision and the orders. And Elizabeth May has raised this uh, issue several times during the election debates, but couldn't get uh, full comments or responses from the other parties. Now, it's important to notice, like when doing the comparison and contrasting, that there are some commitments that are unique to each party that really set them apart from one another. So the Liberals are promising a first minister's meeting with Indigenous partners. And when he says partners, that in all likelihood means the AFN, the Métis National Council, and the Inuit Tapirik Kanatami. Because so far, that's how Trudeau has defined the so-called nation-to-nation relationship. Not with the actual nations, or not with actual First Nations, but with these national Aboriginal political organizations, which are just corporations, they're not governments, they're not rights holders, and they actually have no say in in the actual First Nations communities or uh, traditional nations um, in terms of them being rights holders. So it wouldn't be, you know, a surprise at all to see that that's what he means by a first minister's meeting. And honestly, what kind of promise is that? A first minister's meeting. Nothing happens at those meetings that are significant at all. Um, and, and what he's going to do is probably promote his legislative agenda that always has significant impacts on Indigenous peoples, is usually imposed against our will. And he has already uh, said in other parts of his platform that he has a significant legislative agenda, including a legislation around land and water conservation, um, creating a new water agency, and an aquaculture act. So all of these things can have significant impacts on our traditional lands and territories. Now, that, that's their unique promise because none of the other parties are promising that. Now, the Conservatives stand out, of course, in a bad way uh, as unique because of their very direct commitment to assert federal jurisdiction over all energy projects and use constitutional powers to force projects through without provincial or Indigenous consent. I mean... Well, he just needs to print bully, uh, you know, lawless bully on his shirt. And that's what he's promising to be because um, that would be ignoring all other constitutional rights for the sake of private energy interests and the extractive industry. Um, yeah, it's unique. And thank goodness, because um, 
that would be bad if all of them were promising the same thing. Though I have to add that Trudeau's also bought a pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, so he's not that far off from the Conservatives. Now, the NDP has a unique contribution, and that's their commitment to actually, as a matter of policy and a platform promise, confront racism, especially racism against Indigenous peoples. So he's not only acknowledging that that's a real problem, but he intends to actually confront it uh, as a government. And part of that would include creating a new national working group to address online hate. And something else that's unique to the NDP is is transparency and openness and consultation and engagement around international trade agreements and specifically engaging Indigenous peoples, which is something that wasn't done under the Liberal government or the Harper government. All of this stuff is done in secret. Uh, Trudeau uh, appointed uh, the AFN National Chief Perry Bellegarde to be an advisor to an advisor to the people who are negotiating the trade agreements. But first of all, what does Perry Bellegarde know about international trade agreements? And second of all, you know, a token appointment of someone who is not an expert on international trade agreements or who doesn't consult with First Nations on international trade agreements is no real help to First Nations. And we all know that the bulk of what's in international trade agreements comes from our lands and resources. Now, the Greens stand out um, for their promise of a guaranteed livable income. And that's something that is intended for all Canadians, but they intend to have specific considerations for Indigenous peoples. Another unique promise is that they want to kind of restructure the way things happen in Canada and create uh, a council of Canadian governments that obviously include federal and provincial and territorial governments at the table, but also includes Indigenous nations. And I think that's important because Indigenous nations is not the AFN, and that would be leaps and bounds ahead of where the Liberals are right now. Now, overall, you know, when you look at all of the platforms together, the Liberals, NDP and Greens do include significant commitments to Indigenous peoples in different respects. However, you also have to look at all of these commitments and read them in the context of their entire platform and past practices. So if you look at the Liberal platform, for example, they focus a great deal on the middle class and taxation schemes with little mention of Indigenous peoples in the rest of their platform. So that's very telling. The Liberals also made and broke the majority of their promises to Indigenous peoples, including the promise to repeal all of Harper's legislation that was imposed on First Nations, failing to respect Indigenous rights because he approved Trans Mountain Pipeline without First Nation consent, he failed to fully lift the cap on social programs. Uh, and there's like thousands of students still on waiting lists for post-secondary education. Water's still a problem. Uh, there's still food insecurity. Housing's an issue. And he had promised to undertake a review of Canadian laws to make sure that they were all Section 35 compliant. And what have we heard about that? Crickets. Of course that wasn't done because these are significant promises which would have moved the agenda and it looks like he had no intention of moving the agenda forward. Now, if you look at Shear's weak Indigenous platform and his promise to ram project approvals through over Indigenous lands, um, that's basically just a continuation of Harper's anti-First Nation rights agenda. And in the rest of his platform, it's also very scary for Canadians. You're talking about billions in cuts that would be felt in social programs and services. And, I mean, you're essentially uh, electing a Ontario Premier Doug Ford at the national level and and we know the devastation that Doug Ford is wreaking here in Ontario in terms of uh, social programs and um, that's what we can expect at the national level. Now what is a concern are all the ways in which the platforms of Trudeau and Scheer 
overlap, like Indian Act abolishment, promoting pipelines, their aggressive legislative agenda that would be imposed on First Nations, they're both of them failing to recognize free prior and informed consent, and focusing on Indigenous or oil and gas agreements. Now, only the Greens and the NDP at the federal level are untested as governments. Both of their platforms contain much more comprehensive and substantive commitments in relation to respecting Indigenous rights, treaties, human rights, jurisdiction, sovereignty, self-determination, UNDRIP, the TRC, the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing, addressing socioeconomic crises like housing, water, food security, education, health, over-incarceration, foster care, and acting on murder to missing Indigenous women and girls. That's significant. But in the rest of their platform, they also talk about including Indigenous peoples in climate action moving forward and are focused on nation-to-nation negotiations and federal decision-making tables, all of which are to include Indigenous nations. The entirety of their platforms, the Greens and NDP, on all of these other issues are important. Their commitment to climate action, social justice and fairness and and economic fairness goes a long way to understanding what their core values are and what the potential is for whether they would act on, on their Indigenous commitments. Now, their platforms aren't perfect. Of course, they're not perfect. They lack some of the core elements to what I would consider a sustainable nation-to-nation relationship moving forward, like the return of significant portions of so-called crown lands back to First Nations, a share in the wealth from First Nation lands. And when I say wealth, I'm not talking about extraction of more natural resources. I'm talking about sustainable income from government fees, fines, penalties, levies, duties, taxes of all kinds, royalties, and the profits that come from our territories. Also, uh, it's lacking a negotiation process Uh, a specific targeted comprehensive negotiation process for the harmonization of Indigenous laws, federal and provincial laws and jurisdictions on all matters, not just what they consider to be First Nation matters, but things like international trade, foreign policy, immigration, all of the so-called big ticket items. First Nations need to be at the table as decision makers, not token advisors in any way. And, of course, uh, what's also missing is a significant commitment to reparations for past and ongoing genocide and breaches of human rights. Not on a case-by-case, litigation-by-litigation basis, but I mean significant reparations for the loss of past use of all of our lands and resources and all of the profits that have been made and never shared with us and all of the negative impacts from genocide, like the loss of life or the physical and mental harm that resulted. To my mind, a platform which had truly prioritized Indigenous issues would have started out by addressing the two major crises facing Canadians today. The finding of genocide against Canada for murder to missing Indigenous women and girls and the looming climate, climate crisis. There is no greater crime against humanity than the atrocities associated with genocide and the genocide against Indigenous peoples through the ecocide of their lands, waters, and resources. Genocide and ecocide go hand in hand. From there, the ideal platform could have built upon a transitional justice plan to end genocide and link this to plans to address the climate crisis. It should have been front and center in how they all presented their platforms and what they chose to include in their federal election debates, in their press releases, and in all of their media appearances. But they didn't. None of them did. And it's not enough to say, yes, we'll implement the recommendations and move on, because they never do. Governments of all stripes read reports, put them on a shelf, 
cherry pick one or two recommendations and that's it. So, you know, promising to implement RECs is no longer enough. We need to know what is the plan, how is it going to be funded, what's the timeline, why is it important, and what are you going to do to educate the public, Canadians, about why they should care about ending genocide and ecocide. It's very clear, after a review of all of these platforms, that a vote for Shears Conservatives is like voting Harper back in office, but much, much worse. We would literally be inviting chaos, Trump-like chaos, into Canada. So the question remains, where to put the vote as between the other three parties? Well, I think one of the other parties can be excluded as well, because the best way to judge a party's sincerity on fulfilling future election promises, it's on his past record. And I think we know of the Liberals, NDP and Greens, which one of those parties has a bad record in terms of implementing Indigenous promises. Hint, it's not the NDP or the Greens. So if People consider this seriously, all of the platforms and past practices and the entirety of the platform, then there's really only two parties worthy of conditional support in this election. And I say conditional because even if we, even if Canadians vote with their hearts and vote with the party that they think would best represent them, be it the NDP or the Greens, they still have work to do to get things right on a nation-to-nation -nation basis. And that can never be achieved vis-a-vis -vis Indigenous peoples when you do a pan-Aboriginal, top-down approach that doesn't address genocide, the dispossession of Indigenous lands and resources, or the specific and disproportionate impact of climate change on Indigenous peoples. It just... You can't, without addressing lands and resources, without addressing reparations, without addressing the interconnectedness of genocide and ecocide, hope to set the relationship right. And I also think that the so-called strategic voting is not effective. First of all, you can never be assured of what thousands of people will actually do versus what they say. How are you really going to, with any degree of certainty, coordinate uh, strategic voting for one party in one area, but a different party in another area to keep out a third party in a third area. It just, it's not logistically viable. Secondly, it's really the opposite of what democracy intended. That you vote for the best party versus a party you think will help keep another party out of office or vote for a party that will be the minority of another party. And thirdly, how will we ever realize the revolution that we need, that we must have if we're going to save this planet, if we don't take the risk and make some revolutionary choices? And when I say we, I'm really talking about the majority of Canadians because they have the numbers, the power, the wealth, the influence. They're the ones that this is their system. They have so much power to bring the revolution forward. And while many Indigenous people vote, we have such significantly smaller numbers. That's why Canadians also need to be concerned and informed and educated about what the impacts are. You know, Canadians may not get what we want right now, even if, we, even if they vote with their hearts. But maybe the decisions they make today will help pave the way for the next election and the next revolution. That's what I think anyway. Thank you all for tuning into my show. I will post a link to the Canadian Dimension uh, magazine article that this podcast is mostly based on, as well as some other political articles that I've recently written on about the election. And if you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. And make sure to leave me your show ideas in the comment section. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, but I can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can follow me on Instagram as Pam underscore Palmeter as I talk about warrior living. And you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube where I tackle uh, these different political and legal issues facing Indigenous peoples. 
Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Wolong.